Welcome back to our study of 2 Kings. We are in 2 Kings chapter 5, which tells the story of how Naaman the Syrian was healed of his leprosy by Elisha the prophet. And it's one, another one of those stories that reminds us of the kind of thing that Jesus did in his ministry, which of course is, uh, comes several hundred years after the ministry of Elisha. Uh, in fact, Jesus himself mentions this story that we're going to see in 2 Kings 5. He mentions it in Luke chapter 4. But despite that, this story might not be one that you are very familiar with. I doubt that I would be terribly familiar with it, except for uh, reading a beautiful and insightful retelling of this story in a children's Bible called the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's written by Sally Lloyd-Jones. And uh, she captures, I think, the heart of this story uh, wonderfully. I encourage you to check it out if you've never read it before. Um, and I want to acknowledge that I think probably a lot of what is clear to me about what is going on in 2 Kings chapter 5 um, it is clear to me in part because of how beautifully she summarized and, and captured uh, what this passage is about. So as I'm walking us through this passage, probably a lot of what I'm going to say is, is echoing things that she said, things that I learned from her in her uh, retelling of this story, um, insights that I gleaned from her retelling of this story uh, as I attempt to uh, walk us through this story ourselves. So let's look together at 2 Kings chapter 5 and see what God uh, has revealed to us here in his word. So beginning in, in, chapter, in verse 1 of chapter 5 of 2 Kings, it says this, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. So we can just stop right here and say, okay, what's the big deal about Naaman. Why is Naaman so important? Well, he was a big deal in Syria, right? He's the commander of the army in Syria, verse 1 tells us. He's a great man. He's in high favor, it says, with his master. Uh, and the reason why is because God had given them victory uh, through Naaman, right? Because by him, the Lord had given victory to Syria. So Naaman is great in part because of what God has done through Naaman for the people of Syria. Uh, it says he was a mighty man of valor, right? So he was a great warrior is probably what that means. Um, and yet he was a leper. So he had a, a skin disease, but he was a, a great man, a uh, man in high favor, probably highly respected and feared and all those kinds of things. Uh, and it's worth noticing, right, that Naaman was in Syria, which is not a part of Israel. Okay, so you have Israel and Judah and Syria is separate from both of those. So Syria is not a part of Israel or Judah in um the Syrians are not a part of the Jewish people. So these are people who would be outside of Israel. 
um, and they were Israel's enemies. Uh, one of the downsides to, to breaking up our study of First and Second Kings uh, the way that we've done with a big gap between First Kings and Second Kings is that it's easy for us to forget, as I myself have forgotten, that near the end of First uh, Kings, that Israel and Syria were at war with one another. So you can see that in First Kings chapter twenty. Um, uh, Ahab was killed in 1 Kings 22 when they were fighting with the Syrians. Um, back in 1 Kings chapter 15, the Syrians had broken their covenant with Israel, um, uh, sorry, uh, their covenant with Judah, in order to fight um, against Israel. Uh, sorry, sorry, let me say that again. Broken their covenant with Israel. Uh, in order to fight with Judah against Israel. So they had betrayed Israel and sided with Judah back in 1 Kings 15, and they were still fighting with Israel in 1 Kings 20 and 22, and it was during that battle, uh, one of those battles, that the king of Israel, King Ahab, had died. So these are enemies of Israel at this time, and uh, Jesus highlights the fact that Naaman was a Syrian and not an Israelite when he mentions Naaman's story in Luke chapter 4. So listen to this. Luke 4, this is starting verse 27. It says, There were many lepers, this is Jesus teaching, there were many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Okay, so Jesus is pointing out, there were lots of lepers in Israel, but none of them got healed, but Naaman did. And Naaman was from Syria. And when the people heard that, they got mad. It says, when they heard these things, all of the synagogue were filled with wrath. And so they didn't like being reminded that the only leper that got healed in the days of Elisha was somebody who wasn't even from Israel. Somebody who was from Syria uh, was among Israel's enemies, right? So that's why Naaman's such a big deal, not only in Syria, but why this story is such a big deal, because God is going to work in the life of somebody who's not among his people, not among the people of, of Israel. All right, so now verse two. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So what happens is, uh, Israel and Samaria are evidently, are, and Syria are evidently are still at odds with one another. And the Syrians have uh, carried off uh, this girl from uh, from Israel, who's now in the service of Naaman, and she knows that Naaman is a leper, and here she is <clears throat> wishing that um, her master, right, she's been carried away from her homeland and is now compelled to serve Naaman the Syrian, but even so, she wishes that he could be where Elisha the prophet is and be healed, right? So, Evidently, this girl has compassion for Naaman, even though he's not only a foreigner, but her captor in a sense, right? She wanted him healed, and she gives Naaman hope of healing, right? When he hears about this, he thinks, maybe that could happen to me, right? Maybe I could be healed. 
Um, that's why Naaman went and told, in verse 4, Naaman went and told his Lord, thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. Could this happen? Could I be healed? Is evidently what he's thinking. So uh, the king uh, of Syria sends a letter to the king of Israel on Naaman's behalf. And the king of Israel panics, right? Look at what happens. This is in the middle of verse 5. It says, So he went, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God? to kill and to make alive, that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. So two things to notice here about the way the king of Israel responds. He, first of all, says, this is the kind of thing that God can do, but that I can't do. Right? The king is powerful, he's mighty, but he recognizes that healing a man of leprosy, that's not something I can do. That's the kind of thing only God can do. And second, notice that he says at the end of verse 7, only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me, right? The only thing he can figure is that the king of Syria is trying to create grounds for a fight by sending his servant to the king to be healed of leprosy. Like he's just, he, he sent him here knowing I couldn't do it so that when I didn't do it, he would have a reason to be mad and fight against me. That's the only thing I can figure is what the king of Israel seems to be saying. So he, he panics, right? Thinking this is a setup. But Elisha gets wind of this and he's the one that the girl wanted Naaman to be near anyway. It wasn't supposed to be the king in the first place. But anyway, verse 8 says, But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage, but his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, <clears throat> according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Now, what's going on here? Elisha calls for Naaman to uh, come to him. <clears throat> Naaman comes. And uh, Elisha sends a messenger and says, here's what you need to do. You need to go wash yourself in the Jordan seven times and you'll be clean. You'll be restored. Your skin will be healed. And Naaman gets mad because he thinks, oh, we've got better rivers back in Syria that I could wash in. Right? Why do I have to wash here in the Jordan? What's so special about this water? Why couldn't I have washed in the rivers back home? Okay, now here's... 
what I want you to think about as we consider what's happening in this story, okay? Miracles of healing, whether we're talking about the Old Testament or the New Testament, miracles of healing are never about the process itself. It's not as though Elisha has learned some, you know, series of steps that he can perform that if he does them correctly or tells Naaman to do them correctly, that he will be healed. It's never about the process itself, right? It's not, in this case, the water that cleanses or in another case, the mud that restores sight to someone's eyes. That's not what's going on. The the miracles of healing, again, we're talking about one like this in the Old Testament or the miracles of Jesus in the New Testament, they're not about the process themselves. They're about humility and they're about trust and they're about revelation, right? They're about humility because you have to be willing to ask to be healed or admit that you need to be healed or uh, in some cases even submit to some strange actions, right? Or, or even just do a command, go over to this place and wash, go dip yourself seven times in this river or whatever, right? So it's about humility. You have to submit yourself to um, the, the person or the process or the command or whatever. You have to trust in the one who's doing the healing. Who's, uh, and then you have, and then they're also about revelation, right? They reveal something about God, about the ultimate healer, right? So how does that happen in this story? Right? Why not, uh, why, why does Elisha tell him, tell Naaman, to wash in the waters of the Jordan. Why does he have to do that here? Okay, it's not because the waters of the Jordan are somehow better or have special powers or something that the waters back where Naaman's from don't have, right? That's what Naaman seemed to imply, right? Why why here? Why not? I, I got better water back home. The reason why he has to wash in these waters is not because these waters are better, but to make clear who is doing the healing, namely the God of Israel, right? That's why he's supposed to be washed in the waters of the Jordan. Now, God could have healed Naaman in the waters back in Syria, right? But then it might not have been as clear to Naaman who was doing the healing, right? Um, and so it's, not, it's less about the location of the water than about who is telling Naaman what to do. In this case, it's Elisha, who is a prophet of God, a prophet of the God of Israel, who's given the instructions, who's telling him what to do. And that indicates to Naaman, this is who is healing you. Not even Elisha himself, but the God whom Elisha speaks for, right? That's the main point, right? It's revealing something about God to Naaman, that he's a healer, right? That God is the one who heals. And it also reveals that God cares not only about Israel, but also about the nations. That's what Jesus' words were pointing to, right? In Luke chapter 4, when he pointed out God didn't heal any lepers in Israel during those days, but he did heal Naaman the Syrian of his leprosy. Why? Because God cares about Israel, yes, but about more than Israel. Also about the other nations of the world, including the Syrians, who at this time, the Israelites definitely didn't like or get along with. Right, so Naaman has to humble himself and submit to these instructions. He doesn't want to, but uh, some of those with him say, oh, you really going to turn your back on this? I mean, he told you he would be clean. You'd be clean if you just do this. 
Don't you at least want to do it, right? He has to humble himself. He has to trust, even if in only some small degree, that it's possible that he could be cleansed if he does what Elisha the prophet tells him to do. And he comes to know something about God in the process, right? So look at verse 15. It says, Then he returned to the man of God after he'd been cleansed. Right? He returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him, and he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. Now, there are times in the Old Testament where uh, a, a figure outside of Israel might say something positive about the God of Israel, but it doesn't necessarily mean that he's forsaken all other gods for the God of Israel alone. Uh, but in this case, that does seem to be what happened. That the, he's saying, I, I recognize now not only that the God of Israel is a real God, but that the God of Israel is the only God, right? I know that there is no God in all the earth, but in Israel. That's a really significant change. And that um, communicates some of what was revealed to Naaman right through this miracle that the God of Israel is real and powerful and cares about him. So he says, so accept now a present from your servant. Okay, what's Elisha going to do here? Verse 16. But he said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Why does Elisha refuse to take this gift from Naaman, right? Naaman is offering a gift in gratitude for what God has done for him, right? He even seems to have converted, right, to, to the worship of God alone. Why does he refuse the gift, right? We, we're not told for sure, right? But there are one or two hints in what comes after. All right. So verse 17 says, Then Naaman said, If not, please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth, for from now on your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any god but the Lord. Again, evidence of his genuine conversion to the God of Israel. In this matter, he says, May the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the house of Ramon to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Ramon. When I bow myself in the house of Ramon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. He said to him, go in peace. So here all he's saying is, look, when I have to take my master into the house of the God that he worships and continues to worship because I'm his guide and he leans on my arm, I'm going to have to bow down as my master worships the God Ramon that he worships. So, so don't take that as me being unfaithful to the God of Israel. right? I, I want to be pardoned for that. I want that to be overlooked or whatever. And so Elisha seems to indicate that it will be, right? Now, here's where we get some hints about why Elisha wouldn't take the gift. Because Gehazi, Elisha's servant, is determined to get something out of Naaman. And in what happens here, we kind of figure out why the gift was refused, refused in the first place. All right, so it says, But when Naaman had gone from him a short distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, See, my master has spared this name in the Syrian and not accepting from his hand what he brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. Now, here's the first hint. Gehazi seems to be saying that Naaman should have had to pay for what he received. 
Right? He has just been healed and sent off scot-free, so to speak. He didn't have to pay anything. He, he didn't have to give an offering or anything. This was just a gift of healing. And when Naaman tried to give a gift back, he was refused. And so the way Gehazi sees this is Naaman has been spared. He owed something, but he didn't have to pay it. And that, I think, is the reason why Elisha refused Naaman's gift. He didn't want Naaman to be confused about why God healed him, right? Or how God healed him. This was a healing of grace. It was an act of mercy. Naaman, for all his power and importance and impressiveness and whatever, he could not merit or purchase this healing, this gift from God. And so Gehazi, or, uh, excuse me, Elisha says, keep your money. Right? You can't pay God back for this, as it were. Uh, but Gehazi thinks he ought to have had to pay for it. He does not like the fact that uh, that Naaman has been shown grace. In that sense, uh, Gehazi is a lot like Jonah, right? Jonah did not want the Ninevites to be spared by God when they repented. That's part of why he didn't want to preach to them in the first place. He knew that if they repented, that God would spare them, and he didn't want them to be spared. He wanted them to be punished. Gehazi, in the same way, does not want Naaman to be spared. He doesn't want this Syrian to get healed and then get to go home without even having to get give from his treasure sort of in repayment of this healing. So Gehazi doesn't want Naaman to experience grace, but Elisha does. All right. Uh, it goes on, verse 21. So Gehazi followed Naaman, and when Naaman saw someone running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master has sent me to say, There have just now come to me from the hill country of Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets, Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothing. And Naaman said, Be pleased to accept two talents. And he urged him and tied up two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of clothing and laid them on two of his servants, and they carried them before Gehazi. And when he came to the hill, he took them from their hand and put them in the house, and he sent the men away, and they departed. Now, Gehazi just lied to Naaman, right? He made up a story uh, about Elisha sending him to ask for this gift, which of course Elisha did not do, did not tell him to do. So he's lying to the king, uh, or excuse me, to Naaman, and, and he gets found out. Verse 25 says, He went in and stood before his master, and Elisha said to him, Where have you been, Gehazi? And he said, Your servant went nowhere. Another lie. But he said to him, Did not my heart go when, when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Was it a time to accept money and garments, olive orchards and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants? Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. So he went out from his presence, a leper like snow. Now, here's the second hint. Elisha says, was it a time to accept? And then he mentions not only garments and money, which Gehazi did accept, but also olive orchards and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male and female servants. Now, this hint, this might be a, a stretch, right? So I'm just putting this out here as a possibility for you to consider. Right? Could it be that the reason why Elisha 
mentions vineyards here is to remind Gehazi of how King Ahab took the vineyards of Naboth back in 1 Kings 21. Remember, that's not that long ago as far as the book goes. It's been a long time since we've read that story, but it's not that long ago. And in that story, what happened was King Ahab used his position as king to take for himself from Naboth something Naboth had refused to give. Right? In this case, is Gehazi, like Ahab, abusing his position as the servant of Elisha to take something for himself from Naaman that Naaman didn't have to give? Right? Whatever it was that Gehazi did, whether, that, whether it's a fair comparison to connect it to Naboth or not, it was serious enough that Gehazi was punished Right, or disciplined with a case of leprosy himself. Right? Why did that happen? Okay, well, perhaps the point is that if he did not think Naaman ought to be without leprosy for nothing, but should have to pay for it, then God is reminding Gehazi that he does not deserve to be without leprosy either. He didn't want Naaman to receive that grace. He wanted him to have to pay for it. I didn't think Naaman was worthy of it, perhaps. And by giving leprosy to Gehazi, perhaps God is saying to Gehazi, you're not worthy to be without leprosy either. I don't owe that to you either. If that is the case, then that means this whole story is about grace. right? Grace from God to a proud Foreigner, I think that's the way Sally Lloyd-Jones captures beautifully how, how proud Naaman was and how much he had to humble himself. Grace to God from a proud foreigner who humbled himself and reminding a proud servant in Israel of his own need for grace. And if that's the case, then this story is one more way of reminding us that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble and we want to humble ourselves so that we might receive his grace, put ourselves in the path of his grace, put ourselves in a position to remember that we need his grace and to ask him for his grace. And I pray that uh, we would all recognize our need for grace and ask God for it regularly. May the Lord bless you.